Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on? What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are going to be doing a particular favorite of ours here on Nerd Sesh. Now we did an episode like this last year. It's called the NBA Bottom Feeder Show. So what we're doing today, we're maybe a little bit generous with what is considered a bottom feeder. We're going to be talking about every team that is not currently in the play-in. So that is the 11 through 15 season, both conferences, and basically breaking down what has gone wrong for them, what has gone well for them, and what we expect going forward. So Logan, let's start at the top of the West as far as this group goes with a team that I would say has shown as much potential as anybody out of this group, the 11 seeded New Orleans Pelicans. Let's start with what's gone wrong for them, Logan. Um, <laughs> The biggest thing, to put it simply, Carson, is they can't play defense. And uh, I understand why the Pelicans did what they did in the offseason. Uh, Williamson and Ingram are horrible help side and rotational defenders, so let's bring in two on-ball dominant defensive guards in Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. Uh, and, you know, we think it's going to hurt their offense, but it actually hasn't, Carson. Uh, it's, uh, it's Ingram and Williamson are just such bad rotational and help side defenders. Situationally, they uh, lack so much awareness. Uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter defensively. Like, Bledsoe's and Lonzo's impact on the defensive side of the ball really hasn't mattered this season. Um I would say that offensively, they've been exceptional um, every game with how efficient that Zion has been, uh, how efficient Zion is on the inside, how efficient Brandon Ingram is getting to his spots and putting up shots. It has simply been the fact that on the interior, uh, they lack uh, because Zion is such a bad defender and Stephen Adams' impact hasn't really been felt there. And on the exterior, Brandon Ingram has been uh, such a lackadaisical perimeter defender. That's what's been bringing this team down all season long. Yeah, so I think that it's absolutely, as you touched on, on the defensive end of the ball because this is a team that has at times been elite defensively but you highlighted a bunch of the individual guys Adams hasn't really been that effective as a rim protector BI sucks Zion is incapable in space 
But I also think that a lot of this comes down to effort and then also coaching. This is the second worst transition defense by points per possession. This was a huge problem for this team last year when they were 27th there. And it is a problem that has only gotten worse. They allow people to make the most threes in the league on the third highest percentage, which again, I think speaks to just a lack of effort, bad rotations, bad coaching there. You're not closing out. You're not getting back. Who does that fall on? That's not some technical weakness that you have. That's your coach, and that is your general effort and mentality there. So I do think that they could 100% be better if they cared more, but they just don't seem to care. And I think it's a little bit weird that we held it so much against Alvin Gentry with this team last year, and now we are allowing it to sort of slide by with Van Gundy at the helm. I do not think he has done as good of a job as he should with this team, and maybe their record is a little bit better. That is because they have a guy named Zion Williamson who is playing at a transcendent level. And he has, they have another star caliber guy in Brandon Ingram. And that's basically what it comes down to. Everywhere else, they have been unsatisfactory. And I will say, outside of the, the defensive end of the ball, J.J. Redick has regressed in a way that I didn't expect, shooting 37% from deep in 18 minutes per game. He was such a weapon for them last year and now is more of a fringe rotation guy. And I just think that their depth is generally unimpressive. Nikhil Alexander-Walker is pretty eh as a rotation piece. Kyra Lewis Jr., who I really like, just is not ready to fill that role. Killian Hayes is, or not Killian Hayes, Jackson Hayes is just not good at this point whatsoever. And Nicole Melli has been atrocious, and he was a guy who at least had value for them as a spot-up shooter last year, and he has been far from good at that job this year. So, kind of just across the board, but far and away it has to be defense. They are atrocious there, and you will not be a playoff team playing like this on that end of the floor. Let's look at the flip side of that, because... As we mentioned, they have been just about as competitive as any team out of this bunch, and they've had some really good wins. They just beat the Jazz, obviously. So what has been the bright spot for this team? Well, as I touched on earlier, and as you were touching on, Carson, uh, Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have been phenomenal on the offensive end, and I think we're seeing something special with Zion this season, uh, especially in the recent few games. Uh, The ringer has touched on it. A lot of people have. Uh, We touched on it last week. Uh, Zion has so much potential to become a playmaker, a a creative ball handler, an unstoppable force when getting to the rack. You know, he's already uh, he's already so far along is just dominant on the interior. He goes up so strong. He's uh, We've said it. He's unstoppable. Zion's like a rhino out there, man. He just gets to the rim, and no contact can affect him on his finishes. Brandon Ingram has been a lead in getting to his spots again this season out of the mid-range from deep um, and with his handle as well. And I do want to give a shout-out to Lonzo Ball as well, Carson. Uh, we talked, I've, we've talked about this in our apartment Lonzo's three-point shot may not be elite yet at this part uh, in his career, but he has come a really far piece from where he was his rookie season, shooting 39.7% on three-point attempts this year. It is a number that I think could steadily um, increase. He's a decent catch-and-shooter. He's still a heavy plus as a defender, and I really like him alongside Zion and Brandon Ingram just because of his passing vision. Um, He's always good at finding Ingram on the wings. He's always good at finding Zion, cutting to the rack. Um... Outside of those three guys, though, I have been largely unimpressed with most of this roster. I was hoping that one of your favorite guys in the draft, Kyra Lewis Jr., would have come along a little more, getting a little more playing time. I still like his skill set. He has just not really gotten the burn. But uh, I'd say that the big pieces have been the three leading scorers on this team and Zion, B.I., and Lonzo. Yeah, and I think that Lonzo has sort of found his role in that he doesn't have to be that half-court point guard here, and that's never what he was going to excel at. He still has some great playmaking in transition, and his value offensively now is as a good spot-up shooter, and then defensively, obviously, is going to contribute there. I think it far and away has to be Zion, though. His last 15 games, he's averaging 28-5 and on 65% from the field, and I basically came out and said earlier in the year that it looked like we had the same player, and that was not a guy who was deserving of maybe heaping praise onto because he had so many flaws. And we've just gotten to the point where he is so unstoppable one-on-one 
that you can criticize his defensive flaws, and low there are many. You can criticize his lack of a shot and what that means for him long-term as a superstar, but what he is right now is an all-star. He was a deserved 13th guy, not deserved over Devin Booker, but a deserved injury replacement at the very least, and it's because he's completely unstoppable. I will say a maybe less shiny bright spot for this team is that their shooting has gotten a lot better, and we obviously looked at the offensive end of the ball for this team, and by the way, kind of expected the defense to be a strength when you have guys on the perimeter like Bledsoe and Lonzo and a interior defender like Steven Adams. Obviously, that has not been even close to the case, but what we thought would be the biggest weakness was just inconsistent floor spacing, Lonzo maybe being a little spotty, Bledsoe not being a consistent guy from deep. He has been better, has Bledsoe, Lonzo's been better as well, and they're basically a slightly below average three-point shooting team right now. They're 23rd in makes, they're 16th in percentage, and they started the year off much worse than that, but that's good enough for this team. That's good enough for them to have really good offense because of some of the individual creators they have, because of their transition potency, and so they've been able to survive what I thought was going to be something that could really hinder them as a team. So I think that that's a bright spot. Okay, so we've talked about the flaws, we've talked about where they've been good, What should they do to improve going forward this season to really make that playoff push that maybe they're gearing up for? Well, I think you have to make that playoff push because they're a little too talented to be among these bottom feeder teams and potentially, I I think they're the odd team out of this group personally. I think you have to make this push because uh, you're just too talented. You're not going to end up with a high lottery pick. You got to make this uh, push for the 10 seed. So this season, Carson, I think... I think they're kind of screwed, to say the least. Like, I don't think there's any major moves you can make unless you move Bledsoe or Steven Adams, and I don't really know who's in the market to get one of those guys. Uh, the Thunder could really use Steven Adams. They are, they've been hard on the interior this season without him. Maybe they'd be in the market to bring him back. But uh, I think that this season specifically, you just got to cross your fingers. I don't really think there's any moves you can make. You just got to hope that Zion and Brandon Ingram can put in a little more effort, as you said, try a little harder on the defensive end because nothing's going to improve on that side without Zion and B.I. making a consistent effort. I would say on the overarching, on the whole, after this season, I think you move off Adams, you move Bledsoe. And honestly, Carson, this is this may be a, a bit of a hot take here. I think you have to choose between B.I. and Zion. I don't think they even play together long term. And unless one of them truly commits to playing defense because at those two forward spots, you just can't have net negatives. They are so important on rotations, on being engaged, and both of those guys clearly just don't care at this point. And your defense is always going to suffer if both of your forwards don't give a crap uh, playing defense. So I think long-term, you get off all the bad contracts, you get off the old guys, you get younger. Maybe move Lonzo as well because he seems to be an intriguing piece for a lot of teams moving forward. And maybe if you want to up your defense the rest of the season, maybe Lonzo's the guy that you move on from. But I think long-term, get off the old guys, pick between Zion and B.I. unless you see a major improvement the rest of the way um, on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think that's an interesting dilemma that maybe we haven't considered fully because Zion is so early in his career, obviously, and B.I. is early relatively in his career as a star for the New Orleans Pelicans. But absolutely, when you have two liabilities there, that's problematic, and they don't necessarily have the most complementary skill sets. You don't see that much Zion BI pick and roll, for example. Now, Zion can be deadly out of the pick and roll, but he also does a lot of his work just out of isolation. And I guess the thing that BI does really supplement that Zion can't do for you is that late game shot making, but maybe the negatives on the other end are a little bit too much. So... I think really what they need to do is care more, first and foremost. I think that some of these defensive issues are inevitable. Some of them are also fixable, and they have not been fixed, and that's inexcusable to me. And I would honestly trade Jackson Hayes for a decent 3 and D guy right now, if that's even possible. I don't know 
Jackson Hayes, former top 10 draft pick, if he has any value, but I just flat out don't believe in him. He's not good on the defensive end. Offensively, his value is nothing more than a rim runner. And obviously, he's a guy who's still relatively early in his basketball development because he started playing basketball late to begin with. But he just looks lost out there. And when there are so many dudes who can be replacement level in just that rim runner, rim protector role better than Jackson Hayes, I would maybe see if anybody wants to take a flyer on a previous lottery guy just to get somebody who can actually help me win now because the Pelicans want to win now. And that's sad because that was the sell on Jackson Hayes coming out of uh, Texas. Texas, yeah. Uh, you know, all of those Texas centers have been pretty good defensively. He's another long guy who's great athleticism. But as you said, Hayes is another guy that just isn't engaged. And uh, we touched on this before. When you're a five in the NBA and you can't play defense, when you don't pay attention, that's a problem. You can't be getting minutes on the floor. Do you think there's any team that, that sticks out that could use a young big man like that? No. I don't know who is looking at what Jackson Hayes is doing and is saying, yeah, I want to bring that in. That's the guy of our future. If there's somebody out there, it's probably the Washington Wizards. And maybe you call them up and see what's happening. I don't know. I just, I don't see who the buyer is. So that's what I kind of look at. Maybe try to get some immediate value there. And then I also think a decent backup point guard would be nice. Feels like they're really missing the value of George Hill. And uh, obviously Kyra Lewis Jr. is just not ready to fill those shoes yet. So yeah, I think that that would be something that would definitely work to their benefit as well. So as we wrap all this up for the Pelicans, what are your expectations for them going forward? Does it get better for here? Does it get worse? Does it stay the same? I think it largely stays the same. Um, one of their offensive issues that we didn't speak, I mean, we spoke briefly about not only their three-point percentage, this offense is pretty bad at creating three-point opportunities, which is why another reason I think they would benefit from bringing another 3 and D guy in. I don't think it gets much better. I think they stay right in this 11 to 9 range, and I think they're going to compete for this 10 spot, but I wouldn't count on it because, again, this defense has been atrocious and there's been nothing in any of the game tape that proves that it's going to get better. So I do think they'll get better from here. And the reason is they've been playing better as of late. I think they've been playing better than their record would reflect. They're shooting better. As we mentioned, Zion is on another level than he was over the first couple weeks of the season. So I think they make a very strong play and push, but I don't know if they end up making it. Maybe they finish in the same spot in the standings at 11, but I think that they will be a better 11 seed than they were at the very beginning of this season. And maybe it's the same team that they have been as of late, but the same team that they have been as of late has been capable of beating some really good teams out there despite some of their more glaring issues. So... We started at the top with the 11th seed. Let's move one spot down to the 12th seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. They're sitting at 14 and 20. What has gone wrong for them this year? So I'd say two major things. First, there's simply a lack of offensive talent around SGA. And it's frustrating because this team has a really solidly fluid run offense, but they're 30th in offensive rating. SGA gets his buckets at will. He's great at getting into the lane, scoring with floaters, mid-range shots. Uh, he's got great touch around the, uh, around the rack. And even more frustrating, there's off-ball movement. There are screens that guys run off of. There are uh, guys moving off-ball around the perimeter. They just simply don't hit their shots. They have the third-worst catch-and-shoot mark on the season in the NBA, and those have been the bulk of their issues offensively. And then I'd say defensively, they've just been terrible in the interior, Carson. They're 30th in rebounding. They're 26 in blocks. Uh, this team severely misses Steven Adams, as I touched on. I think Baisley and Roby are the worst defensive front court in the league. They are atrocious on the inside. Uh, players are shooting 8% higher than their average field goal percentage on Roby within six feet. And with what I've seen from another big man on this roster, Al Horford, I don't think he can play in the NBA as a five anymore, Carson. I don't know if he can play in the league, just defense in general. Yeah, he's a decent catch and shooter. He's a high IQ offensive guy. He knows how to set screens. He knows how to move the ball and where to move with it. But he just simply isn't athletic enough anymore, I think, to protect the paint. He doesn't have that bounce that he... Orford's never had bounce. What am I talking about? 
He, he doesn't have any bounce whatsoever in his game. He doesn't have this lateral quickness that he once had. This I know he's got the brain to play this game, but I just don't think his body uh, can let him play a defensive five role in the NBA anymore. And that is sadly what uh, desperately this Thunder, team's, uh, this Thunder team needs. Now, I will say, Al Horford's a great leader for this team. I think they do need veteran presences. I just don't think he's a great basketball fit anywhere in the league anymore. So as we start talking about the Thunder, I want to clarify for a moment when I said that the Pelicans were missing George Hill, I meant they were missing what George Hill could have been because he was briefly traded there, I think. Maybe I'm just completely tripping, but I wanted to, because that's been sticking in my mind. Um, he's never played there. But I would say as far as what's gone wrong for this team, not much relative to their expectations. Now, they're 29th in offensive rating. That's obviously disappointing. They're a bottom three, three-point shooting team by percentage. That's disappointing. And when Dort and Basley shots are falling, I love them. But they're just not consistent enough from the wings to really be big-time contributors. Dort's a 33% shooter from there. Baisley's 29.5%. And then I also think their bench is pretty rough. You have Muscala. You have Kenrich Williams. You have Poku. You have Roby, who's actually been starting as of late. And then you have Justin Jackson. That doesn't really cut it compared to most second units league-wide. So... I guess you could also throw in there as far as what's gone wrong that Poku's been disappointing, but I don't know if anyone really thought he'd be a legit NBA player right now. I certainly didn't this early. Now, I didn't think he'd be this bad, but is that really holding them back from team success? No, I think that all in all, they have performed better than we expected, and I think that now let's get into what's gone right for them and why that has been the case, because I know that we had them pegged as being towards the absolute bottom of the West, and they have been a competitive team this year. Well, I'd say that first cards in the bright spot has obviously been Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, he's putting up 23-5-6 on 51-41-79 shooting splits. He's in the 92nd percentile of pick and roll. And I think we've seen him take really big leaps in his offensive game. I don't think these are the leaps we've wanted to see playmaking-wise. And I don't really just... I just don't think this is the system that works because, again, there just simply isn't off, enough offensive talent around him to uh, really showcase his playmaking. But he's a reliable three-point shooter. Uh, he does have vision on drives. He's rated making these really tough contested passes out uh, when he goes up with the rock in his hand. Um, another guy I'd like to highlight, Lou Dort. He's a tremendous defender. He's at least a competent three-point shooter. I think Lou sticks around the league for a long time. And then two young guards. You touched on Teo Maladon last week, Carson, and he has been excellent. He's got great passing vision for this team. I think he's a future. I don't know if he can play along Shea. We talked about that last week. I think Teo has a role as a starting guard somewhere in this league. But I do want to give a short shout-out to my UVA boy, Ty Jerome, man. When this guy is on the floor, he's always one of the most alert, aware defenders on the court. He fills lanes correctly. He runs the pick and roll exceedingly well. And my favorite thing about Ty Jerome, this has nothing to do with his game, man. He's just, he looks happy out there, Carson. He's got this little bounce about him where Ty's just happy to be getting NBA minutes. He's, Ty's going to stick around the league for a long time, man. He was a big proponent of why the UVA offense is slow as a pace it ran. He's great in isolation. He's great at, uh, as a catch-and-shooter. Ty is just a really smart basketball player who gets his shots off, he gets to his spots, and he's got great vision and awareness at all points on the court. So they've just got a lot of young, really talented guards on this roster right now, and that is what I think has been the bright spot for the Thunder. I like you shouting out Ty Jerome when he's played a grand total of two games yeah. this year. That's very generous of you. Yeah, I like Ty Jerome, and I'm glad to see him getting a crack at a little bit of playing time somewhere. I think you highlighted the bright spots, though. It's SGA scoring 23 a game on 51.5% from the field, 41.5% from three. That's stupid, and I can talk about maybe how his 
jump shot off the dribble doesn't look insanely fluid, but when he's hitting 40% of his pull-ups on decent volume, I can't really criticize it. And his playmaking has obviously improved from last season when he was in more of that two-guard role. And now that he's been a truer point guard, he's done a really good job. And then I also love Teo Maladon. And I think he's a guy who has a bunch of playmaking ability, can play out of the pick and roll, can be a catch and shoot guy for you, has length on defense. And I am all in on him long-term. So yeah, maybe there aren't a bunch of guys you look at and say they're franchise cornerstones for the Thunder. I think that you can argue that even Dort and Baisley have been bright spots in stretches. Now, maybe not for the season as a whole, but they both had their moments when they look really good. And so I think that there's a lot to be optimistic about for the Thunder who have 2,000 first-round picks over the next couple week, uh, next couple years. And that's really all you need to be optimistic as a fan base. Okay, so as we look at this team, what should they do to improve going forward this year? So uh, you can't. I don't think you can with this roster, Carson, unless you want to sacrifice some of your future with some of those first-round picks. I don't think it gets better from this season. I think you let SGA do his thing, let him take all the touches on offense, and you just cross your fingers that these guys become better three-point shooters. Um, again, it's, it, you're just hoping at this point. I think overall, you hold on to the young core, you hold on to Maladon, SGA, Dort, see what they become. They're going to be solid pieces. You maybe move off of them, you know, go for like, move two of them with a first-round pick, maybe get SGA that second star. Um, and then you let the other young bigs and Baisley and Roby play alongside these guys, see what they can become. If they improve defensively, if they become dominant rim runners, and you move off the old heads. Uh, I, I just don't really see a path this season that the Thunder can get drastically better quickly. Yeah, I agree. And do they want to get better? Like, we're talking about a team that has long-term planning in mind, and I think that they've done a really good job of being a competitive team this year in a brutal conference, and that to me is an accomplishment in and of itself. So I don't really think there's that much that they need to even try to do to improve. You're just trying to find out who are those long-term valuable guys for us, and I think that the way you do that is you try to win these individual games, and that's what they've been doing this year this entire time. So final question here about the Thunder. What are your expectations for them going forward? They try really hard. Uh, that is one of the things that I love about watching this Thunder team play. They're really high effort. Just going to continue losing. Like, uh, man, dude, that game against the Nuggets the other night, that was embarrassing, dude. I think the Nuggets opened up like 10-0 on them. SGA ended up getting their first six points, but it took them like half a quarter to get them. Look, this, this is a really high effort team. They're just not as talented as any of the other teams out West. I think they give a lot of effort. They'll keep losing though. Yeah. And that is a pitfall of this team. When the when SGA isn't going crazy and guys aren't knocking down open shots, which happens more than it should, the offense can be really ugly. But I will say, I think that they can remain similarly competitive to what they've been because I do think their defense is legit. Now, maybe they fall off a bit just because SGA has had to play so incredibly well and they still don't have the depth that you're looking for in a team that would be on the fringes of the playoff conversation or whatever, which really they're not on. They're the 12 seed, 10 teams make it, but I don't see a world in which they enter that conversation legitimately. But I think that they'll be competitive, and that's an accomplishment for a team that I think a lot of us looked at and said they're going to win less than 20 games this year, and that's not going to be the case. Okay, let's move on now, Logan, to the team whose jersey you wear, the Sacramento Kings, who are sitting below the Thunder at 13th out west. They're 13-21 and 21 on the year. Now, we've lamented about a lot of the Kings' shortcomings already, but... What has gone wrong for Sacramento this year? So, I mean, Buddy Heald is struggling to play alongside these pairs. Is that the first <laughs> thing? Is that the first thing, though? No, I just want the number six shooter of all time from beyond the arc? I just want to get a cheap shot in there. You know how I do. Um, that's been frustrating, but uh, one of the most frustrating things overall this season has just been how well the offense consistently plays and how they are let down by this defense night in, night out. Uh, Fox gets to the rim at will. He's got great passing vision. 
Uh, he finds all kinds of guys out on the wing. Everybody's moving off ball. There's a lot of screens. Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton all work so well off ball. It, it, that's one of the biggest things. It's just that this offense is so good, and they can't defend anybody to save their lives. But at the heart of my frustration as a Kings fan this season, and the reason I can't get any sleep at night, is Marvin Bagley. We drafted Bagley over Luka Doncic, which was noted by Carson Brebber in the pre-draft process to be the most Kingsy move that the franchise could make. I sit there, Carson, and I toss and turn, trying to count the sheep. And Marvin just creeps back into my mind. Terrifying. I can't even enjoy my favorite sad song, Marvin's Room, anymore because of the thought of that man. But no, seriously, from an analysis standpoint, uh, Bagley's really good as a rim runner, as a putback guy, as an offensive rebounder. He's a decent catch and shooter. Maybe I'd think differently of him if he had some, some elite skill on offense. But he plays a big man spot and can't defend. And as I will stay on, if you play a five or a four spot and you don't defend, you're not going to stay in the league. That is why we have these questions about Vucevic. It's why we have these questions about John Collins. It's why we have these questions about a guy like Marvin Bagley. And he's hard in the pick and roll. Guys are shooting over 9% on him at the rack. Like I said, he doesn't do anything special on offense. He's a massive liability on defense. And we took him over one of the five greatest offensive players of all time. And for that, I got to drink Benadryl so I can go to sleep at night. Whoa. Already a top five offensive player of all time? Luka Doncic? Yes. All right, man. All right. That's your buddy heel take, I guess. Already? I'm not saying already. I'm saying he's definitely going to be okay. a top five offensive player of all time. You know, I did just ask you already 10 seconds ago, though, and you said, yeah. Well, I mean... All right, you know what? I'll let that fly because he is the best now 22-year-old, arguably, that we have ever seen, and it's definitely something to kick yourself over. Yeah, Bagley's terrible. Uh, really, really, really terrible. I would argue maybe the worst defender in basketball because you mentioned dude shoots 72% against him at the rim, and he has just abysmal movement in space. He's terrible laterally. His defensive stance is weird. Like Everything about him is just off. But I don't really think that you can pin this all on him. Like, he is the most disappointing, certainly. But this is the literal worst defense of all time. Their defensive rating right now is 118.7. They allow the best opponent three-point percentage at 40%. They allow the best opponent field goal percentage at above 49%. And just to speak to their luck, they allow the second best opponent free throw percentage, which they have nothing to do with. But when you're a terrible defense, I guess people are just confident and they keep flowing. They have the worst transition defense by points per possession. The only one worse than the Pelicans, which as I mentioned, I think just speaks to a lack of effort, which is inexcusable. They're a bad rebounding team. They're 25th in defensive re- rebounding percentage. But I do think the biggest problem is related to what you mentioned with Bagley. It's the complete and utter lack of rim protection. They allow the most paint points. And when Rashawn Holmes isn't out there, there's nothing close to a rim protector. Now, Holmes still has his issues guarding in space, but he's at very least an effective deterrent and a pretty good shot blocker. He's not a really good defensive player all around, but he's okay. He has some value there. With him off the floor, the Kings allow 123 points per 100 possessions. It's unthinkably terrible defense, and Bagley's a part of that. It just feels like every time you run pick and roll against the Kings, honestly, even if it's Holmes out there, just because he can't switch out to guys in the perimeter, you're going to score. And you can't have that as a defense. And so that is obviously far and away their biggest issue. I will say, though, offensively, Buddy's not having his best year. Okay, we can agree on that. Bielitsa, who has been a 40-plus percent shooter from beyond the arc the last three years, is at 30% this year. And I will once again mention 
Marcus, Marvin Bagley's shortcomings in that he is inefficient as a role man. He's in the 25th percentile there. He has no post game. He's not a real floor spacer. I know he's shooting in the high 30s as far as percentage, but it's not on a significant volume. He's not really comfortable out there yet. So he's not bringing you value on that end either. And that is one thing that if you want to talk about my pre-draft assessment of it being the most Kingsy thing ever to pass up on Luka, I did think that Bagley was going to be an offensive star. And he's not close to an offensive star. He's not a good offensive basketball player. And then their depth is eh. There's just really nothing to like with this team except for maybe a couple guys who I think there's a lot to like with. So let's get into those guys. What have been the bright spots for the Kings this year? Can I touch on one thing you said about Marvin Bagley, though? Yes. So when you say worst defender in the NBA, are you just limiting that to post defense? No. Do you think he's a worse defender than Trey Young? I think he is a... I guess it's a tough question because when you say post defense, my issue isn't just with Bagley's defense out of the post. It's with his defense in space, which I think is far more disgusting. He is the literal worst pick and roll defender I've ever seen. He's certainly a more impactful defender in how bad he is because he's supposed to in some way guard the rim and he doesn't come close to doing that. Also, he over-rotates all the time. He moves on and double-teams guys foolishly. I'm, yeah, this is not the Marvin. Let's get on to the bright yeah, side. Yeah, let's get on to the bright side. So what has been good for the Kings this year? Um, obviously, De'Aaron Fox has been outstanding this season. We've seen even more improvement in him getting to the rack, finding guys on the wings. He's great out of the pick and roll. He's improved. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I've seen from De'Aaron Fox this season is his improvement as like an off-balance mid-range shooter, which is something that he needs. He had never been really an elite jump shooter, and this is kind of the next step in the evolution of De'Aaron Fox. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton obviously has been outstanding. I think a lot of people have fallen in love with him. He's one of the most aware players at all times on offense, the best rookie three-point shooter of all time. Uh, Your favorite player, Rashawn Holmes, earth-rattling rim runner, dog under the glass, floater extraordinaire. Rashawn Holmes is the man, Um, and he's a pretty good rim protector as well. I mean, the standards in Sacramento are pretty low for that, but Rashawn's pretty good. Um, those would I those I would say are the pretty decent bright spots, and then maybe Harrison Barnes for like the first two weeks of the season, uh, and he's come back to earth. Yeah, I agree with everything you've touched on. Holmes, if you can consider him a significant bright spot, he's basically doing what he did last year, maybe a little better. But I love Fox's improvement as a jump shooter. I think even if the percentage isn't great, and I think it's actually worse from beyond the arc than last year, just the array of step backs and stuff that we didn't see from him previously is awesome for his value as a truly elite scoring point guard who can carry offense even down the road where I think he can continue to get better. And then Halliburton is obviously bright spot number one for this team because you have a potential franchise cornerstone who you hit on towards the very end of the lottery. And that is a big time win for a franchise that has had so many drafting woes time and time again. So maybe the Kings aren't in the best position right now, but they do have some talented guys on their roster. I think we can agree. What should they do to improve? Um, this season, I mean, I would try to move somebody. I try to move Harrison Barnes. I try to make some move right now. Um, specifically for the future, Carson, I told you this last week. I'm still sticking with it. Hold on to Fox. Hold on to Halliburton. Peace to everybody else. Just move them all. Uh, I mean, you have your young building blocks. And the beauty of this, Carson, uh, I think is with Fox and Halliburton, you will still be able to draft highly in the lottery. You're not sacrificing anything is young talent goes for the future by keeping those two guys. They pro, they play great alongside each other and you can build your team around them. I think that Fox and I don't know if Fox and Halliburton can be the either one of them could be the best player on a championship team. They could be a two and a three on a championship winning team and that is the beauty. If you can find that forward, if you can find that big man, the Kings will be in really good position. Clear the cap space, keep these two young guards, go win a championship. So it's just time to hit the home run in the draft, and I agree. And how do you do that? 
you throw in the towel and you initiate the tank. We literally talked about this last week. You're right. Blow everything up. You fire Vlade Divac as well. Well, Vlade Divac is already gone. You fire Luke Walton as well. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, no, it's time for a new era. Bye-bye, old Kings. Hello, new Kings with Fox and Halliburton at the helm. But I agree. If you if you can find a taker for Barnes, take it. If you can find a taker for Heald, take it. And then maybe sign Rashawn Holmes to a nice extension when he's due for it. Just, like, give him $10 million a year. He's not worth more than that. But I do really like Rashawn. What are our expectations for this team going forward? Do we think it gets better? Do we think it gets worse? Do we think it stays the same? No, it stays the same. I mean, no team is going to be successful with this bad post-defense. Again, Go watch a Kings game, man. Their offense is really fun to watch. They'll have a lot of fun, but they're not going to win anything because, again, when you have that bad rotational defenders on the inside, you are limited in game-to-game situations. Yeah, they are what they are. You mentioned it. They have the literal worst defense of all time, and you're not going anywhere with that, but they do have too much offensive talent to completely collapse, and Buddy can still play better. A guy like Bielitsa can still play better, so maybe there's a little bit of room for growth, but not to the point where they're going to be a playing team. They're just too flawed. So that kind of does it for the Kings. Let's move on now to the team in the 14th spot, the Houston Rockets, who at a time were a serious playing contender, even in the post-James Harden era. And then a certain guy named Christian Wood got hurt. Now they've lost 12 straight games. So they're 11 and 22. Uh, What has gone wrong for them? No, you said it. The only thing that I would say went wrong for this team is Christian Wood went down with an injury. Now, um, I'm not saying that Christian Wood fixes all of this team's problems, But he certainly solves a lot of them, uh, which you can actually check out right here on YouTube. An excellent video done by my broadcast partner, Carson Brebber, on why Christian Wood is the X Factor for the Rockets. Go watch that after you're done with this live stream. Thank you for viewing. Um, In the scope of what they've done since Wood has been out, though, this is the worst catch-and-shooting team in the NBA, and that is why I think the Rockets are one of the most frustrating teams to watch, Carson. John Wall, Victor Oladipo are so good at finding these guys wide open on the wings And they just clang shots. This offense moves really fluidly. They're good at creating three-point opportunities. Uh, You've got two great slashers in Oladipo and Wall that get their, uh, they get a lot of points at the rack, which is something that you need. Again, with Wood out, it's been more difficult for these guys because you're the lack of spacing. But the most frustrating thing is just guys are not hitting their shots. The only reliable three that you're getting is, you know, an Eric Gordon top of the key three, a PJ Tucker corner shot, which is always going in. Um... Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of versatility. Uh, There's a lot of guys who can handle the rock and create their own shots and create shots for other guys with their passing vision. But when you're not hitting shots on the wings, you are limited uh, in your offense. And it's just frustrating to watch with how many opportunities they create and just clang. Yeah, so I think that there does need to be just a retooling of what they're trying to do in Houston. And I do want to say that far and away the biggest thing that has gone wrong is the Christian Wood injury. Now, there are flaws in Houston. There are not enough flaws to make them one of the bottom three teams in basketball or what they have been as of late, losing 12 straight. Because when Wood did get hurt, they were the number two defense in the NBA. They had won six of seven games, and they were a better than 500 team. And then, over the last 12, they have an offensive rating of 99.7, which the second worst in basketball is 104.6 over that stretch. It's by a wide margin that they are the worst. They're second to last in assists per game at 19.9, and they're 24th in defensive rating. And I broke down every reason that they fall off on both ends. I'll summarize it briefly. Basically, they have no alternative as a rim protector with Wood out, and there's a reason Boogie got cut because he was really bad, defensively particularly, but also offensively just has no real game beyond floor spacing. And so there's a reason that he is now gone. 
And then they also just need a guy who can be that reliable dynamic threat out of the pick and roll, that kind of guy who can take advantage of open space offensively, that kind of guy who can be an active cutter, who can space the floor, everything that Christian Wood does that this team needs because they're so reliant on that perimeter one-on-one creation. And the guys who are doing that also aren't doing a very good job of it right now. Oladipo was really struggling, shooting 38% on catch and shoot threes, which is good, shooting 27.5% on pull-ups. And it's the same amount of attempts from both. And also shooting 30% on pull-up twos in his time in Houston is 39% from the field, 30% from three. It's the lowest amount of shots that he's ever taken at the rim if you're looking just at his time in Houston. And so I think kind of what that tells us is this team just needs a more clearly defined hierarchy because right now they kind of rotate between the wall possession and then the Oladipo possession. Sometimes they are at Gordon possession. And I just don't think that works. Oladipo right now needs to be activated way more in that off-ball role. As I said, he's knocking down open threes He's just not as explosive athletically, and he's not having the success creating for himself off the dribble that you would want. And so he is getting people open looks to a certain extent, and so is Wall. But I also think we've seen Wall struggle more, particularly as a shooter. He's shooting 28.6% from deep over his last 11 games, and I just think he needs to more embrace that point guard role. The Rockets are a really ISO-heavy team. They run the fourth most ISO in basketball, and they're mediocre at it, and a lot of that is because guys like... Oladipo and Wall, who are maybe settling for too many pull-up jumpers, aren't hitting them that consistently. And so, yeah, those guys are able to kick it to people open on the wings. But I just feel like if this offense had more ball movement, if maybe there was a clearer Wall is a guy who's going to be more focused on facilitating, less on scoring, because he's playing like a score-first guy right now, everybody in this team could just find more of a rhythm and play better because they suck offensively. And yeah, losing Wood hurts there. And yeah, they would be a really good defense if Wood were out there, I do believe. But there are problems with just the Oladipo wall switching off approach when neither of them are playing very well. I mean, can you really attribute that to to John? I, I mean, it feels like watching him, he is trying to do too much out there, but I just, like, who else can he rely on? My point is just that he needs to have a different mentality. I say he's playing with the most score-first mentality he ever has, and that's not good for this team. And it just feels like he and Oladipo are waiting for the possessions where it's my turn, and I don't think that works. Whose fault is it? I think that it's both of their faults, and I also think it's Steven Silas's fault, who was supposedly going to be an offensive guru, and I would say has squandered any of the offensive talent that he does have. And there are other things, right? Like they just don't knock down open shots, not just Wall and Oladipo, but this team as a whole. And so that is going to hinder your offensive productivity, obviously. But I don't like the way that they run offense. I think it's bad offense, and I think that that has been exposed when they don't have that safety valve in Christian Wood who could cover up some of those wounds that I think were apparent the whole time when he was not there. Let's look at the flip side of this. What has been the bright spot for the Rockets? Uh, no, you touched on it. The bright spot was Christian Wood when he's on the floor. Elite role man, elite catch and shooter. He was putting up 22 and 10 on 56, 42, 69 shooting splits. Again, sick video by this guy, guys. You should go watch it. It's pretty awesome. Um, I would say John Wall has been a bright spot in the in the sense that John Wall looks more aggressive this year. He looks like he's really... I know it may not be the most conducive to winning. John is trying his ass off. He is trying hard. And, it, I, like, again, I know it's not the most conducive to winning, but John is at least, I can see the energy and effort being given every single night. Um, Jay Sean Tate has been a plus, as you touched on last week, Carson. Um, he's a decent ball handler. He's a high IQ guy. He gives a lot of effort on defense. And he's a uh, he's a pretty decent catch and shooter, but he's great at finishing at the rack. Um, I think he's got a future in Houston, at least maybe as a bench guy. Um, 
not really a whole lot to be excited about. I do want to ask you before you get into your bright spots, though, Carson, how much do you attribute this to Wall and Oladipo trying to play too much iso ball and cohesion and chemistry as a whole? Well, I think that they're kind of inseparable. You have this team that's been thrown together with a couple guys who want to be alphas and a coach who's apparently not going to assert himself. Or maybe this is how Steven Silas wants to play. He wants to do this super heavy iso ball and all that. And I just think there needs to be an adjustment. But I think both absolutely play a factor. And I also think that just the personality of the guys plays a factor. Oladipo wanted to be a star. John Wall wanted to be a star. And they're both playing that way. And I will say, there was a time when I thought Wall was a bright spot for this team when he was shooting better from beyond the arc. Now that he has struggled there, there's a lot of ugly John Wall games. And it's funny too, Carson, because before he got hurt, the best aspect of John Wall was the fact that he was passing the ball at a great rate. This was, It was the best playmaking version of John Wall we had ever seen. And uh, that man has long disappeared. Yeah. So I think the bright spots are what you touched on. I think it's Christian Wood, obviously, playing at an all-star level. A guy who got for three years, $39 million. That is an absolute home run. And they will be good again when he comes back. I just don't think he's going to come back soon enough. And I don't think they're going to be good enough to make up the tremendous hole that they have dug themselves. And then I also think Jayshon Tate. Finding a guy who's going to be a legit role player for you, who can be a spot starter, who can do everything decently well on the basketball court. Getting that guy as an undrafted rookie is a win. So I think that those are the bright spots, but this team can be competitive. I still do believe that in spite of how terrible it's been, they're without their best player. And that's really hard to survive and still win games. And they have made that abundantly clear. All right. So we've talked ad nauseum now about all the flaws with this team, but what do they do to improve? Well, first, what this team needs to do Sign a big man who can protect the rim in Christian Wood's absence, man. They've been running Justin Patton at the five out there. I love Justin Patton just as much as the next guy. He's got a decent shot. How much does the next guy love Justin Patton, though? A little bit. Not um, that much. How much How much do you love Justin Patton? Very little. Okay. I, I couldn't use the L word with him. I like Justin Patton just as much as the next guy. That's still an L word. Um, <laughs> I loathe Justin Patton just as much as the next guy. He's a decent screener, man. He's a decent catch-and-shoot guy. Um... He can shoot the pill a little bit, but he can't protect the rim. He's got pretty little court awareness as a defensive five. And this may come off as a dumb take when you look at the transition numbers for this team. I think what the Rockets should do to win games the rest of the season is, as you said, instill a different mentality in how these guys are playing offense. But get that defensive big man in here. I don't care who it is. Sign Andrew Bogut if you need to. I mean, just anybody. Maybe not Andrew Bogut. He's kind of old. He's in the Australian League. Get a guy who can protect the rack and just run teams to death. What I mean is... Get those boards, run John Wall and Victor Oladipo in transition all day. Just try to play faster than the guys. And again, their transition numbers aren't good. They are the second worst team in transition by percentile. I don't care. You have the personnel in Houston to be a good transition team. You just can't protect the rim right now. That is what I would do to win games the rest of this season. As for a whole, hold on to Christian Wood. I don't care what you do with everybody else. Try to be a competitive team with John Wall here. I know it's tough because with a contract that big, it definitely limits what you can build around Wall in Houston. But because you are handcuffed to that Wall contract, you're at least going to be a decent team because of talent-wise. Try to build a competitive team around Wall while you can and then figure it out from there. Yeah, you're right. They have to try to be competitive. There is no alternative. You're not going to be able to move Wall. You're not going to be able to move Oladipo. So I think some of the adjustments I talked about and – I guess maybe you just need to have to put the ball in Wall's hands even more and say less one-on-one Oladipo because he's been so bad there. I don't love the offensive options for this team, and I really do think Christian Wood changes the complexion of everything, but 
they're just so ISO heavy. There's a lot of pick and roll without good roll men as options, and they're not great out of either of those actions. So I think that this roster can work. I think there's enough talent, and I think that they have a much higher ceiling defensively than what they've been as of late. But I don't know if there are really any ways to shake it up. I think you're right about having just a rotational big man. That is a glaring need for this team with Wood out because Boogie was not cutting it there. Outside of that, though, I like a lot of the guys who play on the wings. Maybe they're just knocking down shots right now or not knocking down shots, and there is room for improvement there. So it's not like you should be thinking we're a terrible 14 seed. They're just playing like a terrible 14 seed right now. Bruno Caboclo was on the Rockets this season. Yes, and was doing some wonderful things in preseason. Okay, maybe this is a hot take. In two years, I really believe he could be the starting big man for Houston. No, he's for sure two years away from being two years away. And I can't wait to see what he looks like in four years. And then he'll probably just be like a year or two away. And I don't know, man, with that length, there's something there. There's definitely something there. Okay, so we touched on a little bit. What are our expectations for this team going forward? They're not going to be this bad once Christian Wood gets back. Um, it seems like they're just, they're just bleeding out right now, uh, to say the least. I mean... It has been a horrendous 12-game stretch. Once Wood gets back, you have a guy who can stretch the floor. You have an excellent role man. You have a guy who can competently protect the rim and move well on defense. I think they improve drastically once Wood gets back and will compete for an 11 seed. Uh, I don't think... I don't know, man. This far a skid, it scares me the rest of the season. I don't think they end up being a play-in team, but they're going to be competitive. I agree completely. Their play-in path is closed. That's what happens when you lose 12 straight games and... Hopefully, Wood is back there at some point and you can build for the future. They're in a weird spot as a franchise because you've committed to a core of Oladipo and Wall. That's not a great spot to be in. There's talk of them maybe dealing P.J. Tucker if there's contenders who are interested. Maybe you do that just because do you really care that much about a win-now guy like him? I don't know, but I do think they can be competitive. But yeah, the play-in route has closed, unfortunately, because I was optimistic about this team at one point and doing it sort of in spite of Harden would have been very cool, but... It's not going to happen anymore. Last team out West, the lowly Minnesota Timberwolves, who have the worst record in basketball at 7-28. and 28. Logan, what has gone wrong for them this year? The first thing that has gone wrong is simply that D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns have failed to stay on the floor together. Um, this biggest thing, though, on the floor has just been they've got too many ball-dominant scorers. Um, D'Lo is always looking for a shot, never looking to move the rock when he's on the floor. Anthony Edwards has terrible tunnel vision. He doesn't look to move the rock at all. Malik Beasley is always looking for his shot. There's just not enough ball movement. Everybody's looking to get their own shot. It's not beautiful basketball whatsoever. Um, Another guy who's been a problem, Carson, has been Ricky Rubio, in my opinion. Uh, I know this is counterintuitive because Rubio is a guy who does do that for an offense. He moves the ball well. He's high IQ. He cuts. He moves well without the rock, and he's smart, but... At this point, I'd rather the Timberwolves kind of operate like the Trailblazers, Carson. Just let the guys go one-on-one. Try to get your own buckets like Carl Anthony Towns, find guys out of the post like that, let him. I'd run my offense through Carl Anthony Towns. I'd be running screen. I would try to be using Carl Anthony Towns like Nikola Jokic. Now, I don't know if he's ready for that yet because I don't think Towns has the handle like Jokic, but I do think he has the passing vision of a Jokic. Um, he's been seeing the floor a lot better this season, and I would just have guys coming off screens, catch and shoot, Um I'd be letting guys have their ISO possessions uh, because this offense isn't predicated on ball movement. There's not enough guys that do that in this offense for the team to play like that, but there is there are competent players offensively that can get their own buckets. So I just think there's been an issue stylistically with how they've been running their offense. I need more talents. I need more post touches. I just need... 
I just need an overall switch up. Um, what if there were more Rubio? How would you feel about that? You just mean him getting more minutes on the floor in general? Well, I kind of disagree with your take that they should lean in more and more to just the one-on-one thing. Like, running offense through Cat, I think, is great. I don't know how much more I want, and it's weird because now Malik Beasley isn't even there. D'Lo obviously hasn't been healthy for some time, so there's not as many one-on-one me-me-me guys as there was initially. But I kind of feel like having that real veteran point guard presence would do wonders for this team. The problem is Rubio hasn't been that great. He has the potential to be that, though, because he's... Not only a floor general, he's just really unselfish in the truest sense in that he's going to make the pass that helps somebody else make the extra pass, and that can lead to really good offense. But yeah, you've touched on it. The first thing that I would say has gone wrong is obviously health, because when they've had their stars out there, they've been okay. They're only minus 1.4 points per 100 with Cat on the floor, and the 90 minutes Towns and Russell have played together, they have a positive point differential. That's not everything though, because... In their last 11 games, in which Cat has been out there, they're 1-10. in 10. They're still 27th in offensive rating, so they haven't figured out their issues. I will say, though, Cat makes them a lot better, even if those numbers maybe don't suggest so. They play like an above-average offense with Cat on the floor. They're 10 points per 100 better than they are with him off the floor on that end. But their other guys still suck, and they still suck on defense. And I just think the roster cohesion on offense was always a misfit. When we saw Beasley, Edwards, and D'Lo out there, it just did not work, and they have to make some adjustments long-term. And I think that, honestly... D'Lo was gone at some point, which is unfortunate to say, considering what they invested in him and how good Wiggins has looked in a different situation in Golden State. But I think it's the reality of the situation. And I don't know. It's just, it's weird because I thought that maybe Edwards could have some off-ball value and he just hasn't, obviously. And all those guys, just the fact that they need to play on ball so much means that Rubio doesn't really have as much value. Now, again, when they're not out there, I think there's room for Rubio to grow a little bit, but just with the offensive talent that we saw here, with the names that were down on this roster, for them to be 28th in offensive rating is really disappointing and should never be the case. It's been the bigger problem than their defense, which I don't think any of us would have expected. And they have bad depth. Okogi still sucks offensively. He's a 22% three-point shooter. Culver, when he was healthy, it was playing terribly as well. 23.5% from deep. Not really any of the secondary playmaking value we thought was maybe intriguing for him coming out of college. So... Top to bottom, just disappointment, except for Cat, who will, I, I will say, I was a little shocked when you compared his playmaking to Jokic as far as his passing vision. Timeout. No, I'm not. You said his passing vision is like Jokic's. You said that. Nikola Jokic is the greatest passing big man ever. I'm saying that I think he has the potential to grow to, I'm sorry. Sometimes I don't articulate what I mean to the fullest extent, Carson, and for that I apologize. Uh-huh. No. I think they should attempt to use him like Jokic and let his playmaking and passing vision grow because I think Cat has the skill set to one day be a Jokic. Okay, I don't think he does, but I think he has the skill set to be a very good playmaking big man. I think he already is that. He's making passes this year that I don't think we've seen from him in the past, and I'm super high on Cat. I think he's a fantastically talented player who can absolutely be an offensive centerpiece. He just doesn't have the right guys around him right now. So I'm all for running offense through Cat. I think that's their best option. I apologize, Jokic. Yeah. I didn't mean that. Yeah, that sucked when you said that. Okay, so as much as gone as has gone wrong for this team, something has to have gone right. What do you think that is for the Timberwolves? No, I think a lot has gone right for the Timberwolves, and I think it's a little disrespectful of you to say that depth-wise, uh, they haven't lived up to the hype. Now, I don't mean the guys that are really getting a lot of rotational minutes now, but there are a few guys that stick out to me. Nas Reed. 
Yes, uh, Carson's another one of Carson's favorite players. Nas Reed has been excellent. Uh, players are shooting seven and a half percent worse within six feet when guarded by Reed. He's a great screener and roll man. Uh, he's always really aware in the post. I don't love Anthony Edwards and what he does for an offense quite yet, but pure scoring ability with the rock in his hands, Anthony Edwards is the man. Uh, he's putting up 15-4 and 2.5 on 37, 31, 80 shooting splits. Not the greatest, but he's great at attacking the rim. He's physical. I think he could be a high-volume scorer one day. Again, I don't know how conducive that is to winning, but Edwards could be a deadly scorer. Um, he's got a killer step back. Just right now, though, he takes a little too many pull-up uh, jumpers for me to really fall in love with his game. Malik Beasley's a great scorer. I think he would be fit uh, in a much better role as a six-man, uh, like we talked about with Zach Levine. Again, Carl Anthony Towns has been tremendous as always. Um, I think he has taken a little bit of a step forward as a defensive five. But the biggest guy in Minnesota, the guy I have fallen in love with the most, is Jaden McDaniels. Uh, the Timberwolves are 11.5 points per uh, better per possession with him on the floor. They are five points better defensively with on the floor individually. This kid's blazing fast. He can jump out of the building. He can guard anyone. Players are shooting 7% worse on their field goal attempts when guarded by him. And he's knocking down his catch-and-shoot attempts at a decent rate at 36% on the season. I just think with how young this team is that they've got a lot of building blocks for the future that could hit it just sucks right now that this timetable is not going to match up with Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, so that's interesting that you've loved McDaniel so much. I think that he's a guy who I was excited about the ceiling of coming out of the draft, and there's been some good stuff, and it'll be interesting to see how much he does commit to playing that 3 and D role because there's certainly some on-ball creation potential. I don't know if it is ever realized, but if it is down the road... He could definitely be a building block. I guess I just don't think he's that good of an NBA player right now. Like, I don't think he's going to drive winning in any way. So I criticize the depth because I'm really only looking at what is your value right now. And when I look at this bench, it's Nas Reed who I like. And then besides that, I really don't like much. I mean, I've talked about Okogi and Culver and how disappointing they've been. And Culver's been hurt for a little bit now. But outside of that, there's just a lot of names who I think they should not be playing NBA minutes. And yet they are. I don't know why I'm on the negative, though, because I think that there have definitely been some bright spots, and Cat is a bright spot for all the reasons we talked about. You can say what you want about Ant's efficiency, 37% from the field, 31% from three, not very good. You can say whatever you want about how he might impact winning. I'm not going to pass that judgment on a rookie. I just don't think we can make that assessment yet. Like, he's not driving winning now, obviously, but that man is dumb talented. He pops athletically. I do think his pull-up game, it may be hot and cold, but man, is it pretty, and the skill set is there, and the handle is there. And I think I see a lot of offensive superstar in him. And so I don't know what his role is long-term. Maybe he ends up just being an electric sixth man, but he's going to be something offensively in this league. I'm confident about that. So I would say those are the bright spots. Cat's playmaking specifically has been awesome. And of course, Nas Reed, because I just really like Nas Reed. And he was good last year, and he's been even better this year. Okay, so they may be down in the dumps, and they're not in a good spot. But what do the Timberwolves do to improve? So I want to clarify if their pick goes four, Warriors get it, correct? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think you just got to suck. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't lose that pick. You can't lose that value. Um, you need that pick this season because you're going to lose Carl Anthony Towns, man. Like, there is no way. I If they don't bring in more young talent, another star, like— I don't think there's anything they can do the rest of this season to drive winning. Hopefully, D'Angelo Russell gets back in this pick and roll. This is the greatest duo we've ever seen. But the Timberwolves' focus should be appeasing whatever they like, whatever Carl Anthony Towns wants. If he wants 
If, if he wants to bring Jimmy Butler back, you got to make it happen. You've got to do anything to keep this man in Minnesota. He is such an electric offensive talent. You can't lose that man. You cannot lose another big-time star. Um, that That is what the focus should be. It should be winning games this season. It's just keeping Carl Anthony Towns happy. Yeah, and D'Lo is going to be out for a while because he did have surgery a few weeks ago. And hopefully you get him out there before the end of the season because you'll already be bad enough that you'll be able to play your guys and just see what you have because another full year in the gutter is so painful because last year was obviously a throwaway with Cat basically taking the year off after he had some injuries and they were just so clearly so bad. But it is what it is. It's the best thing for their franchise, as you mentioned, yeah, maybe they can't fully control whether or not they keep their pick because the lottery odds are so much less favorable for the worst team in basketball now, but you give yourself the best shot and just be the worst team in the league because that's what they are right now, and then you draft well at the top, and maybe you have something going forward. I don't like delving into hypotheticals here on Nerd Sesh Carson, but do you think, with how bad the Timberwolves have been historically, what are the chances that they just you know cease to be a franchise? Chris Finch won't allow it. <laughs> with his exceptional 0-4 record as a head coach. Like, you think that they're just going to vanish into the abyss or they're going to be replaced by a team in Seattle? I prefer the first option where they just are so bad that they just stop existing. No, I they just They just disappear. No, yeah. I like that too. I just, nobody wants to go and play in Minnesota. They've never had any franchise success except for the one time they went to the Western Conference Finals. I just, I think they're just doomed to suck. Maybe they are. But Cat has still said that he wants to win there, and that is a very valuable claim to have from him because I don't know why he would say that. What are your expectations for them? Does it get better? Does it stay the same? No, they're going to be the worst team in the league. Yeah, I think they finish as a bottom two team in basketball. Even if D'Lo makes them better, it'll be for a dozen games at the end of the year when their fate is sealed and just too many problems on both sides of the ball. All right, so now let's move on to the Eastern Conference. Starting again at the top with the 11-seeded Atlanta Hawks, Logan. What has gone wrong for this team that I personally thought would be the eight seed out east before the season? So I, off the floor, I do want to recap what happened with Lloyd Pierce. Uh, it sounds like he just kind of lost control of the locker room. Uh, we kind of already knew that him and Trey Young had beef. Uh, they didn't really get along. But a lot of other players echoed that he wouldn't have time to talk with them, that if uh, he wanted changes to be made, that they would have to run through different channels like assistant coaches first. And I've seen a lot of outlets put this on trade, but the insiders in Atlanta just said that Pierce had a massive ego, and because of his own, uh, he couldn't really manage the other players in the locker room. But it wasn't just the uh, connection off the floor that was the issue in Atlanta. It was on the floor was a major issue as well. Uh, I heard this from Bill Simmons earlier today, Carson. 11th. Uh, blown leads in the fourth quarter uh, from Lloyd Pierce this season. Uh, a lot of misuse of timeouts, a lot of lack of late-game play designs. And I've harped on the Hawks in the past for this. They just simply didn't use their personnel correctly. A lot of times you would see John Collins completely get X'd out of the offense when that is all he is good out. What are you doing, uh, Lloyd Pierce? Um, just because they weren't seeing him eye-to-eye, on a more macro level, a lot of stagnant ball movement. Uh, Pierce continually criticized Trey for the way he played, giving him a lot of tough love. But <laughs> this is what I don't get, Carson. Lloyd, you're the head coach, bruh. What do you mean? You want Trey to play differently? Why don't you implement an offensive system that uses all of your pieces to maximize their value? Use off-ball screens. Use off-ball movement. Let other guys handle the rock and create for Trey as an off-ball shooter. Like, you're the head coach. That's your job. Stop just criticizing. Go to practice and work on something. I I don't get it. Um, and, and 
Get your relationship solid. I, there, there's other issues with the Hawks, Carson. There's been a lot of injuries this season. Hunter's been out. Reddish has been out. Bogey's been out. There's a lot of defensive problems. Uh, I think that we've talked about how this was this was supposed to be the year that the Hawks were competitive. That this is the team that they have been waiting for to be built alongside Trey. And I don't think Gallo or Kevin Herter can play alongside Trey Young. Like they are just defensive liabilities. And when you have that many on the floor you're always going to be a net negative no matter how good you are offensively. So there's a lot of issues that are fit-wise, but for now, I'm going to let Lloyd Pierce be the fall guy for the Atlanta Hawks this season. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think Pierce had done a great job, and I honestly think that they've already upgraded just going to Nate McMillan, who I think has a significantly more accomplished resume, and we'll see if they get better because of that shift. But the first thing I would point to is injuries, and you sort of mentioned it there, but it's been pretty brutal. Bogdan played 10 games and has been out ever since. DeAndre Hunter has missed half the games. Gallo missed 12 games earlier in the year. And so I do think that plays a big factor when those are, you know, three of your top six guys or whatever. And I think that Bogdan had real potential to change how this offense flowed. And we never really got to see that potential realized. I will say though, there are definitely other big issues. Reddish, I thought he had progressed. There was a time earlier in the season when he was shooting well. And he is no longer shooting well. Now he's at 26% from deep. And that is terrible. And that makes him basically unplayable. And that is a shame. But I will say that I think maybe the biggest issue for this team has just been the bench. And how terrible they have been when Trey and the starters are off the floor. Because Trey, Hunter, and Capella all have on-off splits of basically 8 or better. Meaning the team is 8 points per 100 possessions better with them on the floor. That's a really high number. But then the second unit collapses. And I think whatever they thought they were going to get with Rondo... Maybe you got duped a little bit by playoff Rondo, obviously putting up scoring numbers like we hadn't seen from him previously, knocking down shots, creating off the dribble, just playing really well. You have not gotten that. Rondo has been an abomination and the second unit has suffered because of it. So that to me is one of the biggest problems. But yeah, they're not a very good defensive team. Although I will say Clint Capella has done a lot for them then. And as we get into the bright spots, I want to talk about Capella, but what has gone right for this team just generally? No, you should talk about Capella. He's been one of the best rim protectors in basketball, and I think the perfect piece uh, alongside Trey. Uh, Trey's been excellent, 96 percentile in offensive points per possession. And I know people hate watching it. I do too. He's great at drawing fouls. And, I mean, we can criticize how he plays all he wants, how he gets his fouls, whatever, man. He gets to the line and it works. So um, I'm not going to hate on the man for playing the game. Um, DeAndre Hunter, when he's on the floor, uh, has been excellent. I touched on it in our underrated episode, 17-5-2, shooting splits. He's improved as a ball handler, catch and shooter. He's an elite defender. And then Clint Capella, um, 85th percentile defending against the roll, 99th percentile in defensive points per possession. Players are shooting 11% worse at the rack when they're guarded by Capella. I think those are the main spots. I do want to touch on the bench, though. You're not a Solomon Hill guy, Carson? Uh, no, I have never been a Solomon Hill guy. Dude, no BS. I thought that dude was like 40. He looks it. He's 29. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me, but he does look old. Doesn't look very good for an NBA player. I agree with you. I think that Capella is the number one bright spot for this team and has been elite at his job. I think playing the best basketball we've ever seen from him. I don't think he's ever been able to protect the rim at this level. And maybe you can criticize his guarding in space, but it hasn't really been exposed all that much. And he changes what is possible for this team. When he's on the floor... They play as a top five defense, Logan. When he's off the floor, they play as the worst defense ever. And I think that that is just so telling because we can get sucked in by the incredible offensive skill of John Collins and his ability to stretch the floor and be an elite lob threat and all that. But when you have Trey Young as your point guard, 
and you have another couple questionable guys defensively on the wings maybe, you need that real, true defensive center. And Capella is that. He's so much more valuable than what John Collins can ever be for them because of just the glaring issues defensively. And he's still a nice lob on offense. So he's just been a great all-around player and a guy who, when they brought him in, I was kind of iffy on it. I was like, I see what they're trying to do because this is the position of need for them long-term that we've been talking about for so long. I don't know if Capella is the guy to do it though. Now I kind of think that he is. And if you maybe move Collins, get a guy who's a little more fluid on the wings, who maybe plays a little bit better on the defensive end, and you hold on to the rest of your core, I think there's real potential here still. And I think they're better than their record has been or that they at least can be. No, I think they've got their big three for the future, Carson. Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, and Clint Capella are going, is what the Hawks should be building around. And uh, I crapped on a couple of the defensive or the defensive liabilities for this team and Gallo and John Collins. I still believe that. I don't think Gallo and John Collins can be on this team long-term. I think you need another really solid... I'm going to say Draymond Green type, but you know what I mean. Just a really good defensive form mm-hmm. is what you need at the end of the day. And I also crapped on Kevin Herter. Herter's really been good this season, man. Yeah, I didn't like the Kevin Herter criticism. I also think he tries really hard on defense. I think he is a negative wingspan boy, which makes it tough, but he tries really hard. No, he gives a lot of effort, and he's a really excellent catch-and-shooter. He's improved as uh, in his creation off the dribble as well. I love him offensively. I think he'd fit um, off the bench, but I just don't think that he can play alongside Trey. I was wrong. Kevin Herter actually has a slightly positive wingspan by about an inch. So apologies, Kevin. Yeah, I will also highlight DeAndre Hunter as a bright spot because of how good he was when he was healthy. And you talked about that in a previous episode. But I don't know if I would say it's their big three for the future. I would like a guy with maybe a little more value as a shot creator as my second guy than Hunter, who I still think can be a little robotic there. And they just need to find some way to elevate this team offense and to just put more weapons alongside Trey Young. And I do still think Bogdan could be that guy when he's out there in full force and we just haven't seen it yet. So we've talked about the talent on this team. What do they do to improve and maximize that? So, I mean, this season, don't worry about it. I mean, once, once they get fully healthy, I think the Hawks will definitely be in the playoff conversation. Uh, Trey is always going to be that dominant offensive engine. You can't replace that with Capello on the floor. As you mentioned, they've been elite defensively. Once Hunter gets back, once, you know, all these guys get healthy, I don't think the Hawks are in any trouble. On the whole, though, I do think it's where some changes need to be had, as I mentioned. Move Collins, Gallinari, find some defensive guys that can uh, help on that end. Uh, literally just 3 and D guys. And, like, basically what you thought that Hunter would be, just a 3 and D helper, get bring in two or more of those guys. Also, you're sleeping on Young Kawhi. That man's going to be a beast, okay? No, he's a really good basketball player. I'm not going to throw around the comparisons that you're throwing around, though. They frighten me. I will because I'm a wild man. But those are the only things that I can say the Hawks need to do. You've got a really solid base here in Atlanta. Just strip some of it away, build some of it back up, and I think the Hawks are a really competitive team next season. Yeah, I don't think they have to do all that much because I do think when they're fully healthy, they're a good basketball team. I think that really what you highlighted, though, is the biggest position of need. Just more wing defense. I would go maybe try to get Trevor Ariza, who's obviously not playing right now because he's just unhappy. He's at least a decent rotational guy who right now is better than what Cam Reddish is giving you. And then I think you need to upgrade Rondo. You need a guy who can competently run your second unit. I don't know where you find him. I think there are a lot of options who would be better than Rondo right now, though. And then I think you've addressed a couple of your glaring issues, and you're not going to suddenly be a great defense all the time. Your bench unit isn't going to be exceptional. But it's probably going to be good enough to get you into that 10 seed spot, which is ultimately all you need, because then maybe you can make a little noise if you have a good game or two in the play-in. So I think that there's a lot of potential, but what are your expectations? Do you think they end up in that play-in or what? 
Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I think they get decently healthy. Uh, they're much too talented. And again, late game situations. I, I mean, this is all really contingent on what Nate McMillan does in his tenure as well, because uh, we haven't seen enough of that sample size. But with what Trey is going to be able to give you as uh, late game situations and down the stretch, I think they're a shoe in for one of the low three seeds. I agree. I still think they end in the play-in, and I think that they can play better basketball than we've seen from them. Let's look at the team that is one spot below them that I at one point thought was a real playing contender, and they've been playing better as of late after a real dry spell. The Cleveland Cavaliers sitting as the 12 seed. They're 14 and 21. What's gone wrong for them this year? Um, I mean, expectations-wise, if people thought that they were going to be competing for a playoff spot, I'd say you're disappointed. But with the growth that we've seen out of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, I wouldn't say a whole lot has gone wrong. Um, there's issues with this offense still, as we have harped on in the past. There's not enough off-ball movement. Um, they are, and this is the weirdest thing to me, Carson. Uh, the reason I say off-ball movement, they don't have trouble passing the ball. They, they move it around the the um, the key all the time. They move it around the perimeter all game long. But nobody moves. They just sit there like, uh, all right. Okay, thanks, Darius. I'll, I'll get it back to you. They're leveling in passes. They're 25th in potential assists. That is a discrepancy that doesn't make any sense. When you're 11th in passes, you should probably be close to 11th in assists. It's, it, there's just not enough off-ball movement. They don't have enough shooters on the outside. They have the second-worst three-point percentage on catch-and-shoot attempts. Um, and defenders, like I said, because of the lack of off-ball movement, defenders literally don't have to move far out to close, uh, close out on shooters. They will catch it, and the defender will be right there in their face as they pull it. It's it's embarrassing, but this roster is still young, so I wouldn't say there's a whole lot wrong with this team. The growth of the two young guards is still there. You've got an excellent rim protector in Jared Allen. Um, there's not a whole lot to be happy about outside of Garland and Sexton, but I wouldn't say there's been a whole lot I've been disappointed with in Cleveland this season. Yeah, and you got to put the expectations in context here where we thought they'd be a bottom three team out east, and they've been slightly better than that. So can you be that disappointed? I don't know. And I will say the first thing that comes to mind to me when you say what's gone wrong is something that you actually didn't mention is that they've never had Kevin Love. And I don't know when they will because he's apparently back to basketball activities, but I'm sure they're not rushing it because they don't really want to win all that much, as you can see by the fact that they've moved on from Drummond. But I truly believe this would be a playing team with him just because I think that they are so desperately missing that shooting. You mentioned some of the stats off the catch. They're making the least threes per game in basketball on the fourth worst percentage. They're making the least, they're making less threes per night than last year's dead last New York Knicks, which we think of as just an atrociously disgusting shooting team. And I will say part of that is because they don't have good spot up shooters around Garland and Sexton. Another thing is Garland and Sexton have so much offensive responsibility and they are by so far the most gifted offensive players here in Cleveland. Really, no one else is offensively gifted, period, if I may be so blunt. What, Chetty Osman? JaVale McGee. What are you? No, just chill out, man. No, and he's not creating for himself. That's Yeah, he's a good athlete. He's a good rim runner, but that's not the kind of creation I'm talking about. Just simmer down over there. Basically, my point is, Garland and Sexton are still so unleashed that... They kind of just play whatever kind of basketball they want. And a lot of that is getting to the shots that they're just comfortable with. If it's mid-range, if it's floaters. And so they don't really take that high of a volume of threes, even though they're both good three-point shooters. So that's part of the reason I think you see that their numbers are so bad there. But just back to the love point, if they had that third real weapon, that real floor spacer, that would be great for them. Now, they wouldn't be a good basketball team. I think they'd be a more competitive basketball team, though. And 
Another thing that's wrong for this team, they just have really spotty depth. There's a lot of Damian Dotson. There's a lot of Lamar Stevens. These guys who, I don't know, maybe shouldn't be getting all that many minutes. Dude, the worst one? Dylan Windler, man. Yeah. Dude, I can't stand watching Dylan Windler play yeah, basketball. Yeah, he can shoot that rock, though. No, he can't. Yes, he can. That's the problem. No, he can shoot that rock. I think he's shooting like 35% from deep this season. Yeah, on a sample size of what? Probably like 70 attempts? I mean, dude, like that was his selling point. He's a hard defender. He's He can shoot that rock. Just wait. No, I agree. He's not a good basketball player, but he can shoot that rock. Windler's trash. Okay. So I think Dylan Windler's been the bright spot for the Cavs. What do you think it's been? <laughs> it's been it's been Sexton and Garland. Um Sexton's been awesome. 24 20 point games this season. He's a great pull-up shooter. Uh, really tremendous burst to the bucket. Um Carson's literal favorite player in the league, Darius Garland. Uh man's just got the ball on a string, dude. He manipulates defenders. It's the way that I would describe Darius Garland sizing up guys one-on-one. It's like playing mental chess. Like he is baiting you so clearly one way and you're done. He's taking it the other way and cooking you to the rack. It's it's a lot of fun watching Garland play basketball. I do like Chetty Osmond, Carson, um, a lot. I think he's a really smart player who I want to see him in a winning situation. I think he can be a really solid contributor off the bench for somebody. Um, he's great in transition. He's always looking for the open man. He's a decent shooter and scorer. And yeah, man. Oh, actually, one more guy before I get to the kind of jokey one. Jared Allen's been great at protecting the rack. Players are shooting 15% worse on their field goal attempts within six feet. Yeah, man, JaVale McGee's a plus for this team. He's not a bright spot because he's ancient at this point in time, but he's a great rim runner. He's really athletic under the rim. I like when he gets his post touches because he's scoring. You're, you're giving me that look because I guess you're not a JaVale McGee guy, no, but who sue cares? me. I mean, I just don't care about him for the 12 seeded calves. He's, you're right. He can contribute <laughs> to winning. We saw him on a title team last year, but I just don't really care all that much. I will also point out that Dylan Windler is shooting 40, or 38% from deep, so... Pretty good, man. He can shoot that pill, yeah. as you would say. A little better than the sixth best shooter of all time this season, huh? Slightly better. Yeah, that's correct. So I think you highlighted a lot of the bright spots. It's Garland at Sexton. And when you say that Garland has the ball on a string, that's the perfect way to describe it. His bag is so deep, man. I'm telling you, he's going to be a star. Maybe he's an empty number star. Maybe it's 25 a game, but it's not winning. Here's the reason why I think that it's going to be better than that, though. His passing is so much better than last year, and that is the key evolution for him because a lot of guys can get buckets, including his buddy Colin Sexton, who's been playing great this year, but dudes who can elevate teammates are the real stars, and I think that that's what he has the potential to do. He's averaging 8.4 assists per game over his last five, and he's just making reads that I don't think he made previously. His pace out of the pick and roll is awesome, and he's looking to pass, and I think that he kind of slows the game down for himself there where he has the constant option of the floater if he gets a guy on his back, but he can also throw the lob. He can throw the dump off. He can throw to the shooter in the corner, and he fits balls into tight windows. He's got a nice touch. He can deliver with one hand, so that is where I look at him and say he's going to be special, which I do still believe, even if we haven't seen it, obviously, at the highest level because he still has a ways to go. But there's so much talent there. And my favorite aspect of him passing is when he drives to the rack, he is so adept at, you know, obviously going up for a layup and then kicking yeah. out to the corner. It is, I mean, I just love guys in general who can do that. Luca's exceptional at it. Uh, obviously, LeBron, like these great passers of all time. Garland is elite at going up in the air, dragging in the defense and kicking out to a guy in the corner. It's such an exceptional ability. Jaw is another guy who is just ridiculous at it, I would say. And I will give Jared Allen a little more credit. I know you said he's a bright spot. I think he's been a real bright spot, though. Putting up 14.5 and, and 10, 1.8 blocks per game on 66% shooting. You mentioned his defense has been disgusting. That 15% number below average around the rim 
is like one of the absolute best in basketball. And so that to me just makes him an awesome guy to have at the five long term because he's just a simple player. He's going to be a really explosive role man. He'll be good out of the dunker spot. And I will say he's four of eight from three this year. He's tinkering a little bit. And he's made 50% of them. Super small sample size. I don't think his shot looks great or anything. But if he does develop a shot, yeesh. And I actually prefer him right now in this situation to Andre Drummond just because he demands so much less on offense. He's not going to try to get his post touches. He knows who he is. And I think he's done a really good job here and maybe a little bit more of a painful loss for the Nets than we initially thought because he gives you basically DeAndre's offensive value. Maybe a little less aggressive, but he's been more aggressive in Cleveland, I would say. And it way more defensive value. So I really like Jared Allen. I think he can be a long-term piece for them. So there's the eternal question of Garland versus Sexton. We don't need to get into it right now. Maybe they can coexist. Maybe if Garland becomes that real true point guard, they can excel together. We just don't fully know yet. So as you look at this roster right now, still competitive, having won their last four, what should they do to improve? I mean, as you said, I do think Garland and Sexton can last together long-term. It is just a simple question of, will they finally run an offense in Cleveland? Will they use Colin Sexton off ball? Will they use Darius Garland off ball? I think the key to winning games in Cleveland is just running an offense. It's plagued them this entire season. It plagued them a lot last season. They are the worst isolation team by points per possession. I'm not saying that you know Sexton and Garland are horrible ISO guys. I love them in those spots, but on an overall scale, they run it so much and they don't get points out of it. They... You just have to run an actual offense, and they would win games. Um, and then I think on a bigger scale, I think you just got to get deeper on the wings. Um, there's not a whole lot of wing depth here in Cleveland, and I hate to point to Isaac Okoro. He's young. I think he can grow. Okoro, his offensive game is still not developed uh, this season as all, but, dude, he's not really that good a defender. Well, he's a rookie, though. Yeah, and, and, and that's why I'll give him a pass. I'll give him time to grow, but just— the awareness factor. It's He's not always engaged all the time. He tries to do a little too much because that was what was expected of him at Auburn, to be that lead guy defensively. And it seems like he tries to do that at times. When guys are driving to the rack, he'll overcommit a little bit and leave a guy wide open on the wings. Like, dude, you're 6'6", man. Stay out there. Stay on your guy on the perimeter and clamp him up. It's, it's not your job to stop the big man. But get deeper on the wings, run an actual offense. I think Cleveland will be I think they'll be good to go next season. I criticized a lot of their moves. I criticized them drafting Garland after taking Sexton. They've really surprised me. And I think this team, if they play their cards right in free agency this offseason, they'll be really competitive next season. So here's what I think they should do. First and foremost, play Kevin Love. Because guess what? Whether you like it or not, you sign him to a massive contract and you can't undo that. And you're not going to find a buyer for him right now. So either play him and increase his value or play him and help your team win basketball games. I also think they just need to add shooting across the board. And you talked about wing depth. Maybe go at a guy like Kyle Korver, who's currently unsigned. Like, just somebody who can knock down shots on the wing. Your number three shooter of all time. Yeah, salient point. Um, I mean, you don't think Korver's too much of a liability defensively to play in the league now? I mean, what are the alternatives? Dylan Windler. Yeah, good point. Love me or hate me, I speak the truth. <laughs> So, yeah, I just think they need to add shooting, and then from there on out, you can kind of fill out this roster however, and they're probably not going to be a playing team this year, but they'll be fine. So what are your expectations for them going forward? I mean, game to game when Garland and Sexton are on, they can win about near any game, but they're, they're, they're going to suck the rest of the year. Uh, unless Kevin Love shows up and we can finally see that, uh, that formula with his team. Uh, nothing really different is going to happen. I agree. 
I think, as you mentioned, they can do damage down the line if Okora develops, if Love really becomes part of this team. But I think they finish 12th or worse. I just think it's too much of an offensive burden on Garland and Sexton. And we've already seen Sexton couldn't sustain the level he was playing at for a bit there. Just too much of a burden. And there's not enough solid NBA players on this roster, basically, compared to some of the other teams in contention for the play-in out east. So I agree. I think it stays the same, maybe even gets slightly worse. Let's talk about the 13 seed now, Washington Wizards. 13 and 20 on the year. I think a lot of us had expectations they'd be in the play-in. They have been playing better, obviously, as of late. Much, much better. But what's gone wrong for them? Let's start there. So uh, Westbrook is still playing inefficient basketball as a whole. 20-10-10 on 42-27.5-60 splits. He's shooting nearly four threes a game. Stop it, Russ. Just stop shooting. Just be a bull, man. Go in the paint. And st- I just don't want Russell Westbrook shooting any jumpers whatsoever, man. Um, Bertans has, has disappointed this season just because he hasn't been knocking his down, uh, his shots at a super consistent rate compared to last season. He's still a plus for this team. I've criticized, I want to apologize to Davis. I've criticized him way too much. He's still a, a decent plus. The contract really isn't worth it because he's still not shooting at a 40% clip, but he's still a plus on this team. Um, Denny Avdia has been super underutilized this season. Um, they've been using him as a pure catch and shooter and cutter. Beal and Westbrook are a little, a little too selfish. I mean... I do think that this team would, I think that Beal and Westbrook can get a little bullish in the fact that they think, yes, we're the two biggest stars here. We have to carry such a drastic load. But if they use these guys, man, if they use Denny, if they use some of the other players on this team, I really think they can be a, they just succeed. There's a lot of good ball handlers here. Roll Neto. I'm not saying they'd be on the floor with him, but use them, guys. Stop trying to uh, hog the ball. Um, the biggest issue though, Carson, and the reason that the Wizards have been better as of recent memory they can't stop a wet paper bag defensively, man. They've got massive issues defensively, individually. You talk about Marvin Bagley as maybe being the worst defender in the NBA. I know who the worst defender is in the NBA, Carson. And his name is Garrison Matthews, dude. He gives a lot of effort, but he cheats on defense. He tries to overcommit. He's flat-footed. And the worst thing, man, Garrison tries to double-team big men. Dude, you're six, what, six four, six five, six six. And you're slow, bruh. Stop. Stay out on the wing, man. They got big dudes in the paint like Robin Lopez and Alex Lynn. It's not your job. Stay off of them. Um, speaking of Alex Lynn, horrible situational awareness in the paint. He doesn't notice cutters. He bites on a lot of pump fakes. He sucks. The biggest issue with the Wizards' defense is, and I've seen this time and time again, offenses spread them out. They go five out, and the offense will pull Wagner or pull Lopez out to the perimeter. Then the ball handler will beat his man one-on-one. That forces the non-center on the floor most of the time, Bertans or Hachimura, to cover the paint. And they stink at it. Outside of Lopez, outside of um, Wagner at times, they have no post defenders. So when those ball handlers get into the paint, Hachimura and Bertans are not stopping them. They get to the other teams, get to the racket, will, and score on them because they just don't have enough competent defenders out there. And it is so easy to spread them out defensively with their limitations. Um, it, their defense sucks. It's been better as of recently, but uh, I have been underwhelmed on the season as a whole. Very underwhelmed, and we've talked about the Wizards a decent amount, so I'll keep it brief. Russ sucked for most of the year, and he's playing a little bit better as of late, but I don't know how sustainable it is, and really he's not playing that great. They can't play a lick of defense, as you mentioned, 27 the defensive rating, and I don't know that there's a good individual defender on this team. Right now, and I would say none of their role guys are performing at max potential. Bertans, even though he's been a little better as of late, 
Hasn't been the same weapon he was last year. Rui has just been fine. Denny, as you mentioned, basically in the spot-up role. Thomas Bryant got hurt out for the season. Troy Brown, who averaged 15-5 and in the bubble, has been completely irrelevant and has been bad for this team. So top to bottom, disappointments, except for Bradley Beal, in my opinion. And so he's my bright spot. What do you think has gone right for the Wizards? Yeah, I mean, it's Beal. I think there are a couple of guys. Um, I like Hachimura. He gives a lot of effort. Um, He's a presence inside. He hadn't made the major strides that I want to see, but he's slowly progressed. And then uh, one of your boys, uh, Roll Neto, really good underrated point guard, tremendous passing vision. He's great at running in transition, good mid-range shooter. Um, that's about it, though. I mean, there's outside of those three guys, there's not a whole lot to be happy about in uh, Washington. Is Neto one of my boys? Pretty sure. You like Neto, don't you? He's one of my guys. So so why the why the deliberation there, Carson? I don't know. I guess I'm just more neutral on him. But yeah, I'll take him. He'll be part of my crew. Yeah, I really think the bright spot is Beal. I'm giving you 33-5-5, and, and you can question the efficiency night to night. Sometimes it's not the prettiest, but a lot of times it is pretty darn pretty, and he is carrying this team offensively to a spot where they can at least approximate being average, and that's really all you can ask from a guy like him with a roster that is just so subpar elsewhere. So... He, to me, is kind of the lone bright spot. I like I like Rui. I was hoping he would be able to stretch his game out beyond the arc a little bit more this year, and he hasn't, and that's disappointing. And outside of that, really, nobody has grown, nobody's developed, and yeah, it's just disappointment across the board. So what do they do to get better from here? You don't. You don't have the, uh, you don't have the personnel defensively to get any better, Washington. I'm sorry to say that to you. Uh, you got to blow it up. I mean that. Um, start from the bottom. Trade Beal, get as much uh, as much value as possible uh, back for Beal. <laughs> and you let Westbrook put up like 40-12-12 every night, being on the worst team in the league. Um, it, it is past due time. They've been holding on to Brad Beal too long. It's time to move him to a contender. Let Abdiha run the show. Let Achimura run the show. Let Westbrook be there because, I mean, at this point, who the hell wants Russell Westbrook on their team? They'll be kind of fun. I mean, I'd like to see Denny play, but... Uh, yeah, it is time to blow it up and, and be and just suck for five or six years. I don't think it's going to happen. I agree with you. It's the right play. It was the right play last year and will continue to be, but I don't think it's going to happen with what they've committed to him and Russ. So I will look at practically how do they make the playoff push. I think there's a couple things. I think a 3 and D wing and a defensive center would go a long way for this team. If you could bring in a Nerlens Noel, so there's not as many Wagner minutes. What? Why are you so anti-Nerlens Noel? No, I'm saying the Knicks are giving up Nerlens Noel. Really, though? If you throw them an interesting enough package, he plays 20 minutes a game. Knicks fans love that man. So does Tibbs. Of course, because he's really good. And they should love him. I want him in Washington, though. It's not like he's untouchable. I don't know. Throw the right package at them. I think you can make it happen. And then, I'll ask you this, Logan. If they're all in on the playoffs, now, neither of us like this guy very much individually. What do you think about a Harrison Barnes trade? Apparently, the Kings don't want to do it because they had interest from the Celtics and they said, no way, man. He's a franchise cornerstone. But, like... If they're just going to commit to this era of the Westbrook-Beal duo, and I think it's a terrible decision, but if they do, does HB maybe make them a playoff team just because he's a good offensive player at the very least? No. Okay. I mean, like, I just don't see what he gives you that Denny isn't already giving you. Like A lot. He's so much better than Denny. Well, I mean, in the fact that, what, he's a better catch-and-shooter, yes. he can get his own shots yes. a little better than Denny right a now. Lot better. But... That's everything offensively. Uh, we can even do more. He can score out of the post. Like he's better in every single way offensively, outside of theoretical playmaking value that we haven't seen that much of from Denny. Like obviously he's not gonna 
supplant Denny long term. But this year, if you're like, hey, we're bad, but we want to try to be okay. I don't know. I think there's I, something to it. I guess I just don't like any any hypotheticals that involve the uh, Wizards trying to make a playoff push. It's going to happen, though. And maybe they don't go in on it anymore, but they're trying to make the playoffs as is. I don't love the Harrison Barnes idea, but I'm just trying to find guys who they can get in there and improve some way. Okay, so what are our expectations for them? I mean, I did say last week, I'm not I'm not going to act like um, you know our shows don't overlap. I said last week they could maybe be a playoff team. That's why I got my hat on. I was capping everybody. This this is not a playoff team. Um, Brad Beal's nice. I mean, they again, they've been good uh, as of recently, but I don't know, man. I think they'll come back to earth. Yeah, I honestly think they missed the play-in. I think it's close, but I don't think they're as good as the Hawks. I don't think they're as good as the Knicks. I don't think they're as good as the Hornets. And then you add in the seven preseason playoff locks in my mind who I think are going to be in there. I'm not sure they're as good as the Bulls. Like, I do think that as Russ plays better, if he plays better for a sustained period, him and Beal will just carry this team of some wins by just pure volume, force of will. But not enough. Not enough to override the issues that exist elsewhere. And I don't think they're a playing team right now, even though they have been surging and playing better as of late. All right, now we are in the cellar of the East, the 14th seed of Orlando Magic. They're 13 and 22. They're bad. Why are they so bad? Um, I mean, first off, their young talent hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, John Isaac went down uh, with an injury for the season. Aaron Gordon has been out with an injury. Um, and on their young talent as a whole, they've kind of just failed to develop. I mean, Chumo Kiki doesn't really look like he's going to be anything. I don't want to crap on the man. He's coming off of a major injury. This is his first season. Uh, he hasn't been limited minutes, hasn't really impressed. Mobamba kind of looks like the same player. I mean, he's shooting a little bit from deep on like one attempt a night, but whatever. Um, the biggest thing with the Magic and why they've stunk, though, is they've just lost that uh, defensive identity that they once had. Uh, eight, tenth defensive rating in 2020, eighth defensive rating in 2019, and they're running their offense through Nikola Vucevic, which... Hey guys, nerd sesh content. Another epic video you can check out. Bam out of bio, why he was robbed of an all-star spot. You can find out why Nikola Vucevic is actually bad for team basketball and winning as a whole. It's great content. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I, it's not to say that the Magic don't have offensive pieces that I like. Terrence Ross is an elite um, just creator by himself. Love him off the dribble. I love him as a pull-up guy. Evan Fournier is an offensive plus on any team that he's on, as Carson noted last week. But... There's a lack of young talent here. There's a lack of talent in general. This man, Michael Carter-Williams, is getting 26 minutes a night on 39% shooting from the field, 21% shooting from deep. I don't know why he's playing basketball. The Magic, I think, Carson, top to bottom. If you take Vucevic off of this roster, I think they are so clearly the least talented roster in basketball. And the reason for that is because of injuries. I mean, they had a play-in caliber roster, but Fultz plays eight games. You have no Jonathan Isaac. Aaron Gordon has missed almost half the games and is going to be out for a while longer. Fournier missed almost half the games and is finally back out there. And so that just puts so much offensive burden on the Cole Anthonys of the world, the Terrence Rosses of the world, who just aren't ready for that. When Cole Anthony's out with a rib fracture. Right. And I do think that I commend him for what he was trying to do, but he's just not ready to be an offensive leader. He's not ready to run offense for you at a high level. So I agree there. And I also think defensively, you mentioned it, they're 20th in defensive rating now. And without Isaac, without Gordon, it just becomes harder and harder to put a strong team defense around Vooch, who is just flat out bad there. He can't guard in space. He can't vertically protect the rim. He's big, but nothing else. So... That, to me, is the biggest issue by far. And then you mentioned some of the young guys. Okeke, 
I am optimistic about, but he has not played a significant role. Bamba is just forgettable completely across the board. And so, yeah, not much has gone right for them, but something has, I assume, because you have a bright spot written down. What has it been? Cole Anthony, when he was on the floor, uh, I mean, he showed flashes of being a dominant scorer. Again, I like Terrence Ross a lot. Uh, he's an absolute microwave off the bench. You know, I, I like Tim Birch, I guess. He's a good screener. He can shoot up, up a little bit. Um, no, man, there's not a whole lot of bright spots here. I'd say Cole Anthony's been the biggest one for me. Um, Markel Fultz, for like five games, looked really good, then kind of came back to earth. Um, <laughs> not a lot to be excited about here in Orlando. I will say to me the number one thing is Vooch's individual production. Now, is it great for team success? Of course not because of the defensive issues because it's hard to run offense through a guy out of the post who's not a transcendent playmaker or ridiculous offensive unicorn. But for him putting up 24.5, 11.7, and 3.7 on 48-42-84 splits, that's awesome for him individually. He's done so much to try to carry this team and you can't hold it against him like on a personal level and say that guy sucks because he's not equipped to carry team offense. I've maybe said some anti-Vooch stuff because he shouldn't have been an all-star. I feel strongly about that. But he has been a bright spot for this team, I guess, just because he's something to keep fans engaged and at least hopeful that maybe he'll have 40, 15, and 5 on that night. And then I agree with you on Anthony. I'm not sure if running offense is what's best for him long-term. I said throughout the draft process I thought he's a two-guard. But I do think his playmaking has been better than it was in college. And having that experience to run point, maybe we see a little bit of the Devin Booker effect where sort of just having to be that guy improves your playmaking. Now he's different because he's been a point guard for most of his life, but I still don't think the vision is there. The processing is there for him to be a point guard long-term, but it's getting better. I do think it's getting better. So yeah, maybe not the greatest raw numbers. Maybe not a guy who's going to really carry the team to winning right now, but he's a rookie and he's talented and that was good to see for them. What should they do to do? What should they do to improve? Um, pretty simple, Carson. Blow it up. It's this team has been avoiding a rebuild since Dwight Howard left. It's it's long overdue. Uh, you deal Vooch now. The man is thirty years old. He is not getting any better. He's just an all star. Like this is the optimal time to sucker a dumb team into overpaying for Nikola Vucevic while you can. Who do you think it is? Because I'm trying to think. I don't feel like Vooch fits easily in many places. Oh, the Sacramento Kings, always a good candidate. Yeah, they're probably stupid enough to make a deal like that. Um, you deal Gordon and Fournier to competitive teams who really need them because I think they could be really good assets, not in, the, not in their current roles. As supporting castmates, I think they would be excellent. Deal Terrence Ross, you go into the tank. Finally, you fire old-ass Steve Clifford and just get a new young guy who can establish a culture down there and maybe win some games. Um yeah, man, the rebuild is long overdue in Orlando. Yeah, I agree. Get Clifford out of there. At the very least, I would trade Fournier before he hits free agency because he can have real value for a contender. He does not have real value for you. And if you can get even, I don't know, a couple seconds out of him, like he's a better player than that, but you only have control over him for a few more months. So I would take what you can get with him. So you, as a big Fournier guy, like is there any, I got a few spots. Is there any spot that you really think he fits? Denver Nuggets. Back back to Denver? Yes. I would like to see it. I think that having a third offensive guy like that who can space the floor and everything, who can get a shot off the dribble a little bit, maybe run a little pick and roll with Jokic, I would like to see it. I highlighted it before the season when I thought maybe he did free agency, and I still like it today. That's my number one place, but I think he's an easy guy to fit in anywhere because of his value as a shooter. So I would like that for them, but yeah, there's no value in improving. Why are, what are you improving for? You're not going to make the plan. You suck. 
And unfortunately, part of that is because three of your five best players aren't available. But it is what it is. You're not going to be that good even when you are fully healthy next year. And we've talked about it time and again. It was stupid to go all in on this core. They did it. Now they maybe have an out with just how bad they are. And maybe they do finally get that top pick. And that could be a saving grace for them. All right. What are your expectations for them? Do you think they get better? No. You know, I think Vucevic keeps putting up really good numbers. Um, and then dumb Magic fans are going to try to make an all-NBA third team case or something for him. Uh, no, it doesn't get better. This team blows. Yeah, I think they kind of are what they are. When they can't defend, they suck. Like, Magic offense has been unwatchable for years. And Magic defense has been really good. Now Magic defense is bad, too. So let's do a speed run here through our last team, the Detroit Pistons, because we've been going for a while and I don't know, if you have a lot to talk about, go ahead. I don't have all that much with the Pistons. They're 9-25, and 15th out east. What's gone wrong for them? I mean, I don't think anybody had high expectations for the Pistons, so I don't think you can say that anything's really gone wrong except for Blake Griffin. Um, you know, they expect him to have a bigger role this season, uh, similar to what he'd been doing. It seemed like with his playmaking vision, uh, with his handle, maybe we'd see a, uh, a rejuvenated Blake. We haven't. Uh, he's been sent home 12-5-4, and 36-and-a-half, 31-and-a-half shooting splits. Um, now the Pistons are looking to move him. Outside of that, I mean, like I said, did anybody have any expectations for the Pistons? I can't say that anything outside of Blake really went wrong. Yeah, I would also say the Killian Hayes injury and the fact that he didn't look great out there to begin with. Now, I liked his playmaking. I thought that translated, but he was struggling to score the ball. Having him out as much as he has been out definitely is not good news for them. And I will say that Blake being completely fried is the other thing. You mentioned it, but he's shooting 43% on twos, 31.5% on threes, no dynamic athleticism. Yeah, he's still a smart passer, but he's not beating dudes off the bounce at all. He's not a threat really with that pull-up three, so his value is basically a bad spot-up shooter, and which is not a good player. Unfortunately, on a big contract and a guy who was great before injury, and now we're just not seeing Blake even close to what he once was. I don't want him anywhere near my team. And yeah, they're bad on both ends. They're 25th in offensive rating. They're 18th in defensive rating, but we kind of all knew it was coming. So I don't think we can criticize it all that much. And in some ways things have gone better, maybe even than you expected, just because of individual guys, like of course, Jeremy Grant, who I think is far and away the biggest bright spot. What do you think has gone right for this team? Yeah. uh, Grant's definitely a big bright spot for this team. Um, He's had improvement across the board. I think the uh, biggest ones have been the young guys, though. Sadiq Bey, um, just proving that he can be a tremendous three-point bomber. Um, if you can shoot that pill, you'll stay around in the league a long time. Isaiah Stewart has really impressed me. He's smart. He's tough. He's a great screener. Pretty good post defender already, and he's strong uh, finishing on the inside. Uh, one of your favorite point guards, DeLon Wright. Smart ball mover, great in the pick and roll, decent mid-range and three-point shooter. Uh, he's just a good asset to have. And then I'd say, you know, Mason Plumley. Smart post passer, tremendous rebounder. He's just a consistent uh, there. Um, but the bright spots are definitely the young guys in Bay and Stewart. That was very generous of you to list off so many things. I think obviously Grant is number one. Now, is he a number one option on a good team? Of course not. And we've seen his efficiency pretty consistently drop off throughout the season. He's now down at about 43% from the field. It's a tough spot that he's in. I commend his effort. And I do like some of the individual guys. I think that DeLon Wright, seeing him play at the level he has, has been very reassuring. I also like Plumlee wherever he is. Now, I don't know if I could call him a bright spot here because what does his value really mean? Not all that much. I will say something else that went wrong that I didn't mention. Seku looking bad, just flat out still out of place in an NBA game, not really comfortable at that pace, not knocking down his shots, being still reckless. That's been disappointing to see because he had his moments last year and in the G League and all that. And obviously they're without their two most exciting players last season in Luke Kennard and Christian Wood. 
shame on you, Detroit. Hopefully Hayes pans out long-term, but if not, ugly times. Ugly times in Detroit, Michigan. What should they do to improve, if anything? You can't this season. Yeah. Um, overall, Q, try your hardest to move Blake Griffin. Um, oh, come on. We don't live in fantasy land. Yeah, okay. That's not happening. It's the worst contract in basketball now. Genuinely. It's worse than Wall. It's worse than Westbrook because he has no value. He's so bad. Yeah. So, I mean, you just wait out the uh, Griffin contract. You let the young guys play. Uh, you let Stewart Bay, um, Hayes. You let them get all the touches. You just see what you got, and then hit your draft picks on the head and cross your fingers, Detroit fans. Enjoy being terrible and hope you get the next Rodney Stuckey. Well, dude, that's you're going to put that on him. Just because he's the greatest player ever and you could never expect to draft a guy of that caliber again? I mean, Rodney Stuckey was good for like a season. No, I'm joking. That's why it was a joke. I know, but like, that's disrespect. You, you want them to have another Rodney Stuckey? No, I was pretending Rodney Stuckey was really good in my head. Didn't come across that way. And you know what? That's fine. Enjoy being terrible. Embrace the suck. That's really all that is in the cards for the Pistons because they're bad. Yeah, I hope you guys get another Josh Smith. I do as well. We've talked a lot about how cool we thought Josh Smith was as, as kids and didn't realize that he actually wasn't that good, but he was pretty cool. All right. So what are your expectations? Nothing. Yeah. They're bad. They're going to stay bad. And it is what it is. And so with that, we wrap up our episode about the bad teams. It's always a fun one. We love showing love to the teams that don't have much going for them. And some of the teams we talked about today, I have to say, do have some stuff going for them. And they aren't real bottom feeders because they're okay. And maybe some of them can even make play-in pushes. But with that, we're going to wrap things up for today. If you watched with us on YouTube, hope you enjoyed. If you listen on the just traditional podcasting platforms, hope you enjoyed as well. If you were watching on YouTube, we apologize for a couple of the technical difficulties that we had. Streaming is still new to us here in Nerd Session, so we're still working out some of the kinks. But what is not new to us is our YouTube videos that you can also check out under this same account. You can also follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh, on Instagram at nerd sesh. You can listen to some of our previous shows. We just did a sports history one on the top 10 three-point shooters of all time this past Monday, and we'll be talking more NBA this Saturday live in studio, and we will also be posting that, of course, as a podcast. So with that, I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Session. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nikki Glazer Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glazer Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glazer Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glazer Podcast to start listening.